Greetings and salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode 11 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. Let me go ahead and introduce my cohorts. First and foremost, Mr. Don Anelli from the Horror Countdown Podcast. How you doing, Don? Yeah, always great to be here. Awesome. And coming to us from the Cinema Attack Podcast, Mr. Derek B. How you doing, buddy? Oh, man. This movie. I know. I'm a little sore after this movie. <laughs> I was scratching my head a lot. <laughs> yeah, I almost uh, induced an early case of male pattern baldness. There you go. <laughs> I'm like... Uh, I'm like, was this ghost directed by Lars Van Trier in some scenes? I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I think I think it was a Lars Van Trier, uh, Uwe Boll uh, co-production. <laughs> <laughs> nah, because then the movie would actually make sense. That's true, too. Yeah. yeah. Unless anyway, it's, folks. Unless it's blood rain. <laughs> so, folks, if you're interested, of course, we are talking about the endlessly beautiful yet incredibly confusing Mad God this, of course, comes from uh, Phil Tippett Studios, the master behind some of the greatest stop-motion animation we've ever seen. Stuff like Jurassic Park, Terminator, um, the original Star Wars trilogy, RoboCop, the list goes on and on. The man is very busy. This film, of course, as being advertised, has been 30 years in the making. This is something that Phil and his team have basically been working on in between projects for the last 30 years. Basically, um, in an interview with Phil that I watched this weekend, he mentioned that anytime they would just have like a spare weekend or even just a spare few hours in between one of the larger productions he was working on, they would put some time into either, you know, designing a character, writing a piece of um not dialogue, obviously, uh, mock-ups, things like that. Basically, anything he could do in a couple of hours, they would do. And um, according to Mr. Tippett, this movie definitely has changed a lot over the years. I mean, if a movie is 30 years in the making, you kind of got to figure that it's going to evolve into something that maybe it wasn't planned to be 30 years ago. So in this same interview, Phil says that a lot of the movie is what he pictured 30 years ago, but that a lot of it has just evolved because of technology improving and things like that. Uh, and just weird little ideas and dreams that he's had over the last 30 years. So, yeah, let's get into it. I mean, we got a little bit to talk about here. We got a lot of confusing stuff to talk about. But uh, as we said, we are talking about Mad God 2022. Our synopsis is as follows. A corroded diving bell descends amidst a ruined city and the assassin emerges, emerges from it to explore a labyrinth of bizarre landscapes inhabited by freakish denizens. Oh, man, they put a lot of 50 cent words in that description. I like that. But yeah, like I said, written and directed by Mr. Phil Tippett. This movie has a runtime of one hour and 23 minutes. It is, of course, mostly stop motion animation. There is some um, live action footage mixed in, along with very, very little computer animation. Not much. Uh, we all know that Phil Tippett, uh, from his years on Jurassic Park, is not a fan of CGI. But there is a little bit in here, more accents than full on effects. But yeah, the majority of this film is stop motion, probably some of the most gorgeous stop motion I have ever seen. But the story, hmm, the story is something that we're going to have to talk about. So let's go ahead and jump into our general thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and start with Don this week. Don, let me know what you think of Mad God. All right. Um, so I've, I'm a huge fan of Phil. Um, I, I spent a lot of my youth uh, with him. So, yeah, I was really looking forward to this because I, I had heard about it over the years, just like, you know, this weird thing that he was working on. And he said that, you know, I mean, I, I remember stuff like, you know, from uh, Jurassic Park doing like the early interview saying that he wanted to, you know, get this movie out that he was working on uh, on the sides about, you know, this weird uh, creature that, you know, this weird guy that encounters all these weird creatures. And it, it was always something that kind of just like it stuck out as being something that I would, you know, I was naturally interested in. And I mean, I was such a fan of his work that I, I was kind of anticipating this just as soon as I heard that it was completed. You know, I was just like hoping and praying it would screen on any of these festivals that I was uh, covering because it uh, did show up at several of them, but they were never, um, it was never available for my, uh, for my coverage because I was always remote um, viewing. So I never got the chance to see it and all of the, you know, previews and the, you know, coming attractions that I'd heard of it saying it was like, you know, worth a wait and how great and glorious it was just, you know, kept my interest in, you know, up until it uh, finally dropped. But 
man, I really, really, really got to question a lot of the taste in this because I, uh, this is it. Paints me to say this. It goes down as one of the greatest disappointments of the year. Um, I mean, as glorious and as great as the stop motion is, uh, the visuals in this are just impeccable. I mean, I could pull a venom on this and I can talk for hours about, you know, just the wall of bodies that you see in here. Just, you know, the endless array of just freakish images that you see, you know, these outlandish creatures and just the the hellscape that this guy goes through and just what goes on in this film, just the creativity, the imagination, just, you know, the, the it, I could, you know, go on forever about all of this, but at the end of the day, it just rang in my head. What the hell is this all about? Because everything that transpires in this feels like a random collection of images just pieced together. Like mm-hmm. the the greatest thing I can say about this is that it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like a techni- it's it feels like a demo reel of what he can actually do. As appealing as that is, I don't quite know if that's exactly what I really want to watch. Like I I know the guys are a special effects genius you know i've seen his work i grew up with it you know i i i I can spend hours pontificating on you know ed 209 or the brexes or Mm -hmm. you know the the terminator chase at the end of the you know the first film like i don't need to you know be reminded of how great he is i need to you know I, i i guess my main disappointment with the film is that i kind of wanted this to be something else i wanted it to be just this you know nonstop action thrill ride where he's, you know, having to fight his way through all these weird beings. And, you know, everything is in service of a greater story. Like, you know, he's after, you know, these weird beings that live in this, you know, hell hole. And he has to, you know, fight his way through all these fantastic creatures and, you know, these strange obstacles and all of this other weird, fantastic stuff just to, you know, get to the main prize. And at the end of it, it just feels like this weird, just hodgepodge of just abstract and bizarre images just for the sake of being bizarre images. And that's just not what I'm interested in. I mean, it, to me, I, I kind of, uh, for me, this is a, I don't know if you guys are going to feel this way, but to me, it feels akin to watching a silent film. Like there's no immersion to anything that goes on in here. It's just, you're watching special effects happen. And that just doesn't really appeal to me. Like I, I can appreciate the artistic merits of everything that goes on in here. I mean, just, you know, the idea of creating some of these images alone, like that opening we get where we see the bell descend into these hellscapes and you see just like, you know, all of these dystopian, you know, buildings and just monuments and citadels and all of these weird things, you know, just going on in the background. And you see this thing in the middle of it just takes up your space, but yet you have all of these, like, you know, things going on in the background like just you know the time and the effort and the energy that went into that is just mind-boggling and it just it looks incredible but then you're just looking at great images like it kind of just wears out as welcome after a while by like the half hour point when we get you know like the first image the first hint of like all these not just like you know these other stuff going on but like all this secondary images going on i just felt myself drifting away and losing attention to it and i i just got bored i mean i was like the 50 minute mark i was kind of questioning whether or not i should continue with it but yeah uh it's a fun little experiment it's a curiosity piece more than anything but I, i i can't say i enjoyed my time with it i can't say it's worthwhile like i said you know this is a demo reel for what he can do but i don't really need a demo reel for phil tippett because i already know what he can do if you're unfamiliar with what he's done i'd say rent the movies he's worked on because those are a better display of what he can do because you're actually going to get some enjoyment out of them whereas with this once you get past the you know the lack of storyline the just you know hodgepodge nature and slipshod manner and the way that this thing is made i don't know if this is really going to be worth your while i mean you get you get a hint of it what he can do but yeah i'm gonna need more from him so all right uh derek why don't you go ahead and come on in here let me know your general thoughts on mad god man uh (laughs) mad god what can i say about it uh it's 
I was just sucked into the visuals, like the very first opening shot. I was just sucked into the movie. It's very nice, but I didn't know what I was really going to be expecting with it. It's storyline and what story? <laughs> is there, uh, you know, is there? I think because I just actually I watched this twice, and uh, the the first time I'm like, okay, well, what the fuck was that? But then. I, I kind of see like there were some symbolic messages that were being told through the images, like of shit that I've seen on like TV and shit like that. You know, over the years, there's something hidden inside them, but that's for you to interpret it. You know, mm-hmm. in that sense too. You know, I know there, but I still don't know like what they're mentioning with the story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the visuals. I like the shout outs to like. You know, there's some cube brickian stuff going on in the end, and which I was like, "Damn, this is like a 2000 fucking 89 fucking <laughs> sequel." I always wanted, but uh, yeah, it's visually a masterpiece. I'm not sure it's gonna be for everyone though, especially with how it's very art housey. Mm-hmm. Is the term I'm trying to because it is. You know, there's some visuals like I even joked like. Lars Van Trier was maybe ghost directed a few scenes mm-hmm. and it felt like some of the scenes in, in the house that Jack built that just came up, you know, it's very interesting. I really love the special effects. The stop motion is kind of some of the best I've seen in a while. You know, there's some like low budget ones I watch. This mm-hmm. is very well done stop motion, <laughs> you know, yep. for the, and it was very weird and seeing live action mixed in with it. I say, if you like visuals, check it out. I don't know if it's going to be everyone's bag, mm-hmm. but but I ha- I had fun with it. Okay, so for me, I- I'm I'm going to come in a little bit higher than both Derek and Don. Um, I agree with the visuals. I mean, there's no denying the visuals. This is easily the best stop motion animation I've ever seen. I mean, there's a couple of scenes right in the first five minutes of the film where I just was shocked that it was stop motion. You don't get the jerkiness. You don't get the, like the, the, the missed frames or the, you know, weird movements that you generally get. A lot of it is super smooth. It almost looks like, um, if you guys remember like the, uh, Peter Gabriel videos where he would do stop motion, but with human characters, yeah. uh, it looked kind of like that, but even better, like smoother, really nice looking. So yeah, the visuals cannot be denied as far as the narrative or lack thereof. I don't necessarily always need a story in my movies. It, you know, yes, having the visuals, because I'm a big fan of, um, of Matthew Barney's, um, oh, what the hell is the name of it? Ah, shit. It's a series of movies that was supposed to be like conceptual art, Crow something. It started with C-R-O. Anyway, I'll try to figure it out. Um, but it was basically a series of conceptual films. There were six of them. They had nothing to do with each other. They had no dialogue. They were just like, you know, um, just kind of like what Don said, art house pieces. And I actually like a lot of that. If that's what, If I know that's what I'm going into then I can appreciate a good conceptual movie every now and again. You know, no dialogue. Don made the comment of this feels like a silent film. Guess what? I 100% agree with Don. It does. But the thing is, is that some of the best silent films can still tell us a story even with very little text and, um, well, dialogue, quote unquote, as you would get in the silent age era. For those for those who don't know, 1921's The Phantom Carriage is my favorite silent movie of all time. It blows away Nosferatu, in my opinion, but, you know, I, I stand alone on that hill, I would imagine. It, it was the same thing. It kind of made me feel like that, like I was... Um, watching a great silent movie now obviously silent movies don't work for everyone some people are fans some are not i of course am a fan not just of silent horror movies but of a lot of the greats valentino chaplin um you know stuff like that so for me it worked the the lack of a narrative never really bothered me for for the first like half hour of the film i'm just looking at it as we're following this character you know if you don't read the synopsis you don't really know he's a quote unquote assassin but it's just we're 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 watching this guy traverse a hellscape and just basically everywhere he stops there's a new horror that's like blocking his path or potentially, you know, endangering him, whatever the case may be. And I was happy with that. I legitimately was okay with it. I'm like, cool. We're seeing some great ass monsters. The use of like human eyeballs and human teeth on some of these stop motion monsters was downright fucking terrifying. I loved it. 
ah, I stabbed that one monster about a third of the way through the movie that had like the big, big breasts, like sagging breasts, and then he had a full <laughs> mouth of human teeth. Holy shit, that character is off-putting, <laughs> off-putting as shit. So for someone like me, the visuals are enough. It's enough, you know, and entertain me. I never found myself bored. I will say I found myself confused multiple times. I mean, because the way Don's comment about this being a hodgepodge of set pieces is absolutely valid. I mean, literally in one scene, you'll be watching the assassin try to drop off a perceived bomb somewhere in this hellscape, and then he gets captured, and then and suddenly we go to a story with a surgeon and a nurse out of nowhere with no context no nothing so i could see how a lot of people are not going to be you know huge on this movie um obviously the stop motion animation folks for the most part will dig it and people who like conceptual art where you know the the meaning or the moral of the piece isn't handed to you on a silver platter because i still don't know what the moral of this film is our, our film opens with a bible quote old testament no less leviticus 26 um, verse 27 to 33, which I'll read a little bit later on, but it just, it, I loved it as the start of the film. It, it may have wrote a, ch- it may have written a check that the movie maybe couldn't catch because I was expecting a lot more doom and gloom, maybe a little bit more like, you know, hell gore type stuff, even though we do get one spectacular gory scene and, you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. It definitely wasn't nearly as much as I was hoping. Still, lots of, you know, great monsters, really good use of biomechanical stuff, like fleshy machine parts, you know, throughout this facility, almost making it look like the facility itself is alive. Perceivably, it could have been, because there were multiple parts of the facility that looked like they were breathing. Maybe not the Mm -hmm. walls, but, like, stuff that was hanging off the ceilings and coming off the floor. Like, they they would have eyeballs and they were breathing. So, I mean... They're either creating genetic monsters here or this place is alive. So and, and that's up to the, the, the viewer. Ultimately, if one idea works better than the other for you, take it. If you come up with other ideas that work even better, rock on. That's the allure of movies like this, is that if you're if you're real imagine imaginative and you and you just kind of take in the visuals, you can plug in your own story. Honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. we don't. You don't need Phil Tippett's story necessarily. Take Phil Tippett's visuals and, you know, plug in, you know, maybe this guy isn't an assassin. Maybe he's an angel in disguise. Maybe the guy up above is actually God. The character's named The Last Man. He's one of the only human characters in the movie, played beautifully by Alex Cox. Is that God? Is that literally just the last human left on the planet? You know, there's so much to interpret in this film. That, like I said, I think you need, a, like, a creative mind would really dig something like this. Mind you, I'm not going to spend the next week and a half thinking about this film, trying to decipher what it actually means. I've watched it twice now. I've enjoyed it. I may watch it again someday. Maybe it's something to put on in the background while I'm doing something else, because the visuals truly are stunning. There's just no denying the visuals. But I think, uh, I've avoided it long enough, I think the high point of this film is the sound design. The sound design in this film is fucking brilliant. I talked about the disembowelment scene that we're going to talk about in a little bit. The sound design during that scene, equal parts wet flesh and metal grinding together. I mean, I I won't go so far as to say that this movie had elements of Iron Man, of Tetsuo, you know, the Iron Man movie, but it does at times kind of remind you of it, let's say, especially when you first see the biomechanical stuff. Um, The biomechanical stuff isn't really a large part of this film. It's just like one or two rooms of this facility that they're in look very biomechanical, but the creatures for the most part are all very, you know, just fleshy, Except for maybe the baby slug, but we'll get to the baby slug. Oh, I love yeah, the baby adorable. Slug. Between the sound design, the editing, the the level of care that's taken in this movie, obviously Phil Tippett's spectacular, you know, stop motion effect. His whole team, obviously, at the top of their game. I love this movie. I I, I can safely say I loved it. Is it a ten out of ten? Hell no. Um, you know, it has its problems. It has it has its underwhelming aspects. Like I said, I kind of wish. The, the way that Don talked about he wished it was a little bit more action-packed, a little bit more monster-filled, I totally agree with that. But at the same time, because this is a labor of love that took so long, and I've actually done stop-motion animation. I did it for about 
five minutes back in the 90s, it's so fucking hard, my friends, to have to take 24 pictures for one frame, for one second of film. One second of film consists of 24 still shots. The meticulous nature that it takes to make something like that is ridiculous. So I absolutely bow my head to Phil Tippett. This movie, you know, I, I know the visuals aren't going to be enough for everyone, but for this podcaster, it was enough for me. And like I said, I just plugged in my own story. I, I wasn't sure what Phil was trying to say with this movie. So I just plugged in my own story. It, it you know, it, 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 is it a good interpretation of what Phil gave us? Probably not, but it's mine. So I'll take it. As far as talking about elements of the movie, I mean, a walkthrough is almost pointless for this because it's not really, even though our main character, the assassin, is literally walking through a hellscape, it's just so, um, as we've already discussed, the narrative is just kind of so hard to pinpoint. But our Are we movie... at least talking about the fucking invisible man half slug? Hell yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about as much as I, I mean, I took notes for most of the creatures in here, the poop shoveling monsters. I mean, yeah, they had the job of like, fuck this job and just poke his eye. Yeah. And that was probably the funniest part of the fucking movie to me. The fact that they're sitting there just out of nowhere. That's like that scene in wizards with the two fucking soldiers. just talk. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that. As I mentioned, our movie opens with a passage. Uh, The passage is from, Leviticus uh, chapter 26, verse 27 through 33. Now, before I read the verse, I'll let you know that basically what this, what the passage actually means in the Bible, this is a warning to the Israelites that if you don't listen to the word of God, this is what's going to happen to you. So basically, you know, even though this is a biblical passage, it is a hate-filled passage because it's basically the Christians telling the Jews, if you don't, if you don't listen to the word of our God, this is what's going to happen to you. So let me read part of this because it's fucking spectacular. If you disobey me and remain hostile to me, I will act against you in wrathful hostility for my part. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your cult places and cut down your incense stand. I will spurn you. I will lay your cities in ruin and make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not savor your pleasing odors. I will make the land desolate. You and my enemies who settle it shall be appalled by it. And I will scatter among the nations and I will unsheath my sword against you. Uh, How fucking epic is that? Like I said, that passage writes a check. This movie might not actually be able to cash, but goddamn was I jacked. Oh, you you know what made it better? (laughs) Phil Phil Timmy got Samuel Jackson to narrate over the (laughs) stroll. Oh, that would have been great. I will unsheath my sword against you, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Even Don agrees. Yeah. <laughs> so like I said, you know, that, that passage is kind of draped across the screen and our movie opens with what looks like a diving bell, you know, just one of those self-contained units that people use for deep sea diving usually. It's not usually something used for spelunking for cave diving but here they're using it for that we see the bell being lowered down into this weird hellscape that just gets worse and worse as the bell goes farther and farther down at one point it passes the giant skull of what looks like a former demon that was you know killed on that spot suddenly the the more fleshy monsters start appearing until finally it gets all the way down to the bottom the door opens and we see a character uh, you know kind of dressed in like a gas mask and helmet very military looking um if anybody out there has ever played the video game fallout i think a lot of the enemies in fallout kind of look like this guy Almost like a marine, but just covered in like toxic um, safety equipment, you know, toxic yeah. safety equipment type stuff. I know there's a name for it, and I can't fucking think of it. I don't play Fallout. My wife does, and she's not here, so I can't ask her. <laughs> but um, we see this character come out of the bell, and he basically just starts walking around this hellscape. You know, he um, there's no way I'm going to be able to remember every single set piece, but you know, he he goes through. Um, a spot we we end up seeing multiple creatures you know we end up seeing the the human teeth big breasted creature i was talking about that almost looks playful at times until it pulls out a cleaver and chops the shit out of another creature there in the uh, the labyrinth that they're all dwelling in 
I find myself thinking that this started to look like a tool video at times. Um, yeah. Early, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great comparison. Yeah. We'll like, especially um, the burning, the burning girl or the burned girl, the charred doll. Like she looked yeah. exactly out of a tool video. <laughs> and, and that's not a complaint. Mind you folks. I love tool videos. So yeah, the good, the good tool videos, I should say the early yes. 90s stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, yes. Not, not the CG monstrosities that they put out now, but yeah. So yeah, I mean, like I said, multiple creatures that he interacts with. At one point, he goes through a war zone. It literally looks like there's a war between two armies raging, and, and he just, you know, drives right through it, drives his little Jeep through it, and I don't know, it's just, it's an odd little scene, because at first it seems like they're attacking him, but then as the scene keeps going, you kind of tell that it's not that they're attacking him. They're attacking each other. And he's just kind of in the crossfire trying to get through. Like I said, lots of different creatures at one point, And then and then huh, and then it starts to get really weird. Our assassin, he gets to a room where we see these human beings. Now, the human beings in this movie are gigantic. Either either the humans are gigantic or the humans are normal size and all the creatures in the movie are tiny. Take, you know, take it as you see it. Obviously, since we're following this assassin character, we're, we're looking at the movie through his eyes, uh, his or her. And so the, so the humans look gigantic. So basically what we walk into is a room of just these naked, giant human beings, and they're all strapped to electric chairs. There's probably like a <laughs> row of four or five of them, and they're all strapped to electric chairs. They're butt naked. And as they're being electrocuted, you know, all their piss and shit is falling out of their body. You know, they're, they're basically releasing their bowels because of the electrocution and it's being collected up. The assassin then kind of follows where the shit and it doesn't this poop kind of looks like oatmeal. It's kind of weird. It doesn't quite look like shit. It looks like it, it looks like they're spitting up oatmeal, but whatever. What we see is like an assembly line and we start following that waste product that those giant humans put down. And we see that they're literally forming humanoid creatures with the shit, which um, I'm not sure if you guys um, are how familiar you guys are with the Bible, but the fact that they were creating humanoid creatures out of shit really screamed Golgothan to me. For those of you who don't know what the Golgothan is, Golgotha was the hill where Jesus and hundreds of other criminals were crucified. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, it's called Golgotha. And whenever they would crucify someone, obviously, they would release their bowels. So the base of the hill uh, where all the, cru the crucifixions were taking place was all just covered with piss and shit and vomit and everything else. So basically, a Golgothan is a demon that is born through the hate that is generated on the site of Golgotha. Because don't forget, these were public executions. And mm -hmm. we are sadistic people as humans, and we love public executions, or at least at that time they did. So all the people that would come and cheer and watch these men and women be crucified, their hate, the hate that they were spewing out was actually mixing with the excrement and vomit and everything else at the base of Golgotha. And what would happen is it would create a demon. A demon would actually come out of the shit, literally would come out of the shit. And it would be like in kind of a humanoid form, but much bigger with horns. And that would be, and you know, it's affectionately called the shit demon, you know, for those who maybe don't read the Bible. Um, the best example, as far as cinematically that I have of this dogma. would be, of course, yep, Dogma, Kevin Smith's movie Dogma. They actually talk about the Golgothan. They talk about Golgotha and everything. You know, basically the exact same explanation I just gave you, uh, they talk about in Dogma. I did look it up just to make sure that Selma Hayek was correct, and she's 100% correct. From what I could find in the Bible, I actually went to a couple of Bible uh, websites, and yes, Golgotha was a real place. Uh, Golgothans, obviously, it's a demon. Take it with a grain of salt. You know, whatever. Uh, it's the Bible. <laughs> I say take it. I mean, the, the quote that I just quoted from Leviticus tells you, uh, you know, take the Bible with a grain of salt. So, okay. So anyway, now we've got these little shit people, <laughs> literally these little excrement people walking around different parts of the facility and we see that they're just constantly dying. There, there are so many of them that they're dispensable. So literally, they'll be working together to do something, but then one of them will fuck up and like a slab will fall down and kill like four or five of them. But everybody just keeps going like nothing ever happened. Like, eh, whatever. Yeah. 
You know, it, it, they, they're obviously nameless. There's way too many of them for anybody to actually name them and show any kind of affection to them. So they're literally just being created to work. And then we see how they just, you know, just die. They just, you know, they get killed. They die off. At multiple times, we see different creatures from the labyrinth actually attack these creatures and, like, you know, crush them. It, it, it's almost like a zombie in a zombie apocalypse. It's like, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll kill another one, whatever. We see them kind of going and working, the little creatures, I mean, they're working along with the machinery in the facility to make even bigger creatures, to make like these weird worm slug, odd looking fucking things that, you know, we, we see the machinery inject them with some kind of liquid to put them to sleep. And then they're like being put into storage, I guess, for later use. I don't know. Like I said, this movie, psh, the meaning of this movie is up to you, folks. And the, the meaning of each individual scene in this movie is basically up to you as well. And then after this, our, our assassin finally gets to the location that he was sent to. He pulls out a briefcase, which, of course, as the movie viewer, we perceive as a bomb because it has a timer on it. He drops the bomb off, he sets the timer, and then some kind of like giant mutant scorpion fleshy thing comes out and captures our assassin, and he goes away. And then suddenly the movie transitions to back up to the surface level, back up top, and that's when we start getting live action scenes with the last man, this character called the last man, who I'm assuming is some kind of godlike character. He's old, he has white hair, he has very long nails, like ultra long nails, like Freddy Krueger and Wolverine would be jealous type nails, like pretty <laughs> awesome. And we see him basically grab another one of his assassins. We see that he has a, an army of these fucking assassins, these gas mask covered, you know, humanoids. And we see him give him another briefcase and send him off down in the same diving bell. And it's basically, when I was first watching this, I didn't know if this was an example of like out of order storytelling. Like if this was the original assassin and we're just seeing the story out of order or if he was actually sending another assassin down. But then once the assassin, the second assassin comes out of the diving bell, his um, path is a little bit different. And that's when you start to realize, OK, he sent another guy. And this, of course, reinforces the thought that, oh, that must be a bomb that he's trying to get down there to destroy this place. You know, it's, it's, it's our godlike figure trying to destroy hell. Is that the meaning of this movie? Hmm, who knows? Basically, like I said, we reset. We, we, start, we now start watching this second assassin going through the, the hellscape. He runs into different creatures and set pieces that our first assassin didn't see. And then he ends up getting to a place where it's almost like a surgery, like an emergency room where people are being disemboweled. Um, we actually get to see two disembowelments. The first one is through silhouette. So we're not actually seeing anything. It's just black over the white background, but it's in silhouette. And these are all humans. This is live action again. And we basically just see one like doctor type character give a body that's on the gurney some kind of injection. Then we see these two demonic shadows come out. Like I said, the whole scene is in silhouette. So all you're seeing is black shadows. These two giant demonic horn <laughs> things come out and then they just start ripping pieces off of the body. Yeah. Ripping off the foot. Like at one point they rip off all the clothes. They rip off one of the feet. I think they might rip off the head. One of the eyes. It's just, it's just so gnarly. And then literally they stop what they're doing. They turn towards the audience. Sorry, I forgot to mention there's an audience here. <laughs> they turn towards the audience and they bow and the curtain comes down. And I'm just like, what the fuck have I been watching? This is so nuts. I'm loving it. I'm loving the confusion. Don't get me wrong. But man, so wacky. And then literally the very next scene is once again another disembowelment. But this one is not in silhouette this time we're seeing it in all of its fucking glory and my friends when i say disembowelment it is a fucking epic one we see a doctor and a nurse standing over a body on a gurney they cut the body open and they just start pulling out all the organs and at first the organs are normal they're pulling out like intestines and colon and liver and shit like that but then suddenly they're pulling out pieces of metal like but like bolts and nuts and like weird metallic pieces and then the, he he continues digging mind you he's pulling all this stuff and just throwing it on the floor so the floor now has a pile of flesh and metal parts 
Suddenly the metal parts turn into jewelry. He, now he's pulling out like gold necklaces and rings and jewels and shit. And he's just like, and he's, and, but he's undaunting. He, he continues pulling shit out of the fucking body. The nurse is standing there quietly, not bothering him. And then suddenly he pulls out this slug like creature that yeah. is, that's very obviously dead. The, the first one he pulls out is dead. It's not moving. It's just there. But then he pulls out a, another one, and this one is moving. It seems like the surgeon finally got what he was looking for. And this thing is pretty fucking gnarly looking. It's a big red slug type thing, almost like a brain slug. But it's got like a spike back. Like it's got like spikes running down its back, almost like it's a Godzilla embryo. And then it's just got a mouthful of teeth with no eyes or nose or anything discernible. No other discernible features other than a mouthful. a shin. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's good, actually. Yes, very much like a shin. Like, oh, shin G there. After that, the, the surgeon is finally done with the body. And then we see the nurse take uh, the baby slug thing to a new character that we have not met. And this character... This character is like a 10 to 15 foot tall plague doctor. Um, uh, listeners, I hope you know what I mean when I say like a Victorian plague doctor. I love this thing. Oh, I, this is probably my favorite creature in this fucking movie. It's so badass looking. Doesn't make a peep the whole movie, but it's so fucking menacing. Like I said, it's gigantic. It's like 10, 15 feet tall. Either that or the, or, or the assassin is just incredibly tiny, one or the other. But the nurse hands the slug creature over to the plague doctor, and then we spend the next few minutes watching the plague doctor go through different rooms in this uh, hellscape. And at one point, we see another small creature, not a slug, but a very obviously childlike creature, start following the plague doctor going, Mommy, Mommy. And and it's like not crying, but it's like, you know, calling for its mother and the, the creature, the plague doctor just keeps walking, ignoring the child. And we hear the <laughs> child kind of cry in the background as the plague doctor continues walking. Finally, the plague doctor gets to where it's headed with this child <laughs> or the, the baby slug. He puts the baby slug in this weird little machine that's basically a demonic juicer. It basically just crushes the baby slug, turns it into this weird metallic looking liquid. The plague doctor's assistant, who kind of looks like a old like Lord of the Rings hermit type character, maybe a little yeah. mutated, but kind of like a mutated hermit. He takes the liquid, the baby slug liquid, and he heats it and he melts it down and then he cools it into a square, like a square of metal. It's, it's like the baby slug's juices were liquid metal. I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> uh, he takes the square. Uh, basically, he forms the metal into a, like a block, like a silver block. It's easy he to takes, grind with a bone. And there you go. Yeah, he's grinding metal with bone. That's kind of interesting. But yeah, he basically takes the, the block, puts it in like an herb grinder, one of those classic herb grinders, the cup with the, the mallet thing on it. <laughs> and, and yeah, he grinds up the metal until it turns into a pile of glitter. It's fucking glitter. It's literally glitter. Folks, I have no fucking idea what's going on. I'm just describing what we saw. It's Gary Glitter. Yeah, and then the hermit takes the glitter that he just, you know, created by pounding that piece of metal, hands it back to the plague doctor. The plague doctor then opens this weird cosmic fucking door. It, it was gorgeous, but I have no fucking idea what it means. <laughs> and he, he blows hurls, the dust. He literally hurls the glitter into this void that he just opened, and we see a city. Like form, like literally buildings and people. And I, I don't know if this was a representation of the Big Bang. Like maybe the plague doctor was actually God and he was creating a universe. I don't know, folks. I'm just throwing ideas out there. So it's just like, you know, we've created a, a universe. At this point, we see the cityscape and something explodes, almost like a nuclear bomb type thing, because... Suddenly, the city that was just created by the glitter is just as quickly destroyed, just fucking level. And then uh, we get to our final scene of the movie. Uh, by the way, you, you may think that I forgot about the second assassin. Uh, no, the movie forgot about the second assassin, because literally the second assassin gets the disemboweling scene, and then we never see him again. We have yeah. no idea what happened to the second assassin. 
But then our movie gets to its final scene. And what the final scene is, is the briefcase that the first assassin brought down to the area. And we see that the timer's ticking down and there's only a few seconds left. So we're all, you know, as the viewer, you're all prepared for this epic fucking explosion that's going to destroy this hellscape forever. And what happens is the timer expires and a fucking cuckoo comes out of it. It was a fucking cuckoo clock. And literally, it just comes out, it sticks his head out, and it goes, cuckoo, cuckoo, twice. Ugh, talk and about a fucking disappointment. I mean, yeah. that's like eternal blue balls. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm going to give that one to you, Don. That's valid. Um, and that's it, folks. Literally, we get the cuckoo and fade the black and credits. So, man. Pr- Take what you will from that description. I Like I said, I skip a lot of the film. There's a lot of little scenes, little creatures. I, I skipped the whole part where the little hermit guy has like a little terrarium with these little creatures. The Matango? The little Matangos? Yeah, the little Matangos, exactly. And then he fucking, it seems like he's all happy. He has like this loving grin on his face. He's feeding his little Matangos, his little mushroom people. And they seem happy. They're eating their grubs and everything's happy. And then out of nowhere, where he releases this giant fucking arachnid creature that looks like a looks like a spider with four legs and just comes out of nowhere and eats the little one and the big one just goes running and hiding and then we see the hermit kind of crack a sly smile apparently he's sadistic he likes to watch things die yeah uh, there are, there also is a scene where he actually watches a nuclear explosion like we see like the mushroom cloud from an explosion i don't know if it's like some kind of either premonition or what. I mean, it's not like he's watching a television or anything, but he just suddenly out of nowhere has the image of a nuclear explosion. So this guy's obviously sadistic. Oh, don't forget the hermit. That's the plague doctor's assistant. So, yeah. but like I said, folks, I've described this movie about as well as I think I could. And I still don't know what the fuck it's about. I uh, mean, because it just turns into 2001, a space odyssey at the end. That's valid. Yeah. That's like absolute- even, like even when you were doing like the fucking, uh, you know, the description of how it ends, you skipped all, like, the Kubrickian monolith shit coming out of the fucking lights. Yep, yep. They, they even snuck a scene in from the Quater Mass in the pit in there with the Martians marching. I'm like, oh, I see what you did there, Phil. That was exactly. a cool little... I'm glad, <laughs> you know, but, you know, there's some cool... Like, when I was watching this baked, I'm like, this is fucking amazing, but I don't know what's going on. Exactly. I don't think I'll ever watch this movie straight again. I mean, there's no reason to. I'll just make up my own story. That's fine. One thing, eagle-eyed viewers, I don't know if you guys noticed it. I noticed it on my second Ed 209? Not just Ed 209, every single creature Phil Tippett has ever made. Apparently, because they were making this in between every production he worked on, he used a character from every fucking movie he's ever worked on, and it's in this fucking movie. Now, they're not going to be clear shots, but you'll see like a piece of Ed 209. You'll see a piece of a RoboCop in there. You'll see the piece of a Terminator. Um, Part of a T-Rex is sticking out, like a mechanical T-Rex at one point. Um, like the skeleton of a T-Rex model is kind of sticking out. Uh, uh, what do you call it? I, I think in the interview, I didn't see them all now, folks, mind you. I'm, I'm just relaying what Phil Tippett said. But yeah, there's a Wampa in there from Empire Strikes Back. I mean, literally every movie he's worked on over the last 30 years, if there was a stop motion creature in it that he could throw in the background of this movie, he did. And like I said, I watched it the second time freezing a lot to try to find a few the only ones I could find were the Ed 209 and um, uh, what do you call it? And RoboCop and the regular, you know, the, the regular RoboCop and then Ed 209. But yeah, apparently they're all in there. So it gives us something to look for in rewatches, assuming, you know, <laughs> that. You're oh, you know, it would have been fucking it. great now if the, if the assassin actually was voiced by Peter Weller for this. If he was voiced by anybody. <laughs> That's the thing, folks. This movie's dialogue free. So. It's really up to the viewer as to what you're watching. Phil Tippett would literally have to sit me down and explain what exactly this movie is about and what the moral is. What is the meaning of it? Is it like a commentary on the secular nature of life? You know, because we see those little shit people get created. We see them work and then we see them die. You know, is that like, you know, that, that life is just struggle? Is that the message? I mean, there there's so many interpretations here of what's going on. And all of them could be correct in one way or another. So 
this is definitely going to be a movie for those who like to think, who like to watch a movie and to like maybe try to think, okay, what was the filmmaker thinking about when he did this? What was his, what was his or hers intention with this? Those kind of viewers, I think, are going to like this movie. If yeah. you're someone who really likes your story, your narrative kind of laid out for you, you like a beginning, a middle, and an end to your story arc, this definitely isn't for you. This is a yeah. visual this is um, literally almost the sheer definition of a visual feast because there almost is no story. So, yeah, uh, there's not really much that I can add to this. It's a short runtime, nice one hour, 23 minute length. Uh, it won't take you long to watch. It's on Shutter, So if you have access to a Shutter account, you don't have to pay anything to watch it. And it's true. Like Derek said earlier, if you're a fan of practical effects and specifically stop motion and especially like the, the combination of stop motion and live Live action, kind of like a Clash of the Titans type thing, the original Clash of the Titans. Mixed with um, some dark crystal shit with that alchemist. Exactly, yes, with some major fantasy and demonic elements, then I would say watch the movie. But I mean, if, if all that mishmash of different things just doesn't sound interesting, I wouldn't blame you for skipping it. it it's a beautiful movie that I like. But I don't know that I could recommend it to too many people, unfortunately. Yeah. But it still does show. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, Don said that this is like a demo reel of Phil Tippett. And again, you know what? I'm very okay with that. Don obviously would, would have liked to have seen a little bit more sus substance in the storytelling, the characters, maybe whatever the case may be. Whereas, you know, I will admit that that's a positive. Yes, it, it might have been like a little bit more widely accepted. I think it would have had a bigger audience had there been dialogue and an actual narrative, but there's still an audience for movies like this. These are rare movies now. Like in the seventies, I remember seeing a lot more conceptual movies like this with no dialogue, just some sound, some score soundtrack in the yeah. background, but it's definitely a rare thing uh, these days. So if you are a fan of that stuff, I highly recommend this one. Otherwise I think you can skip it. Yeah, I recommend it, but you have to be in a certain mindset going into it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely know that you're in for a weird fucking narrative, or lack thereof. And take some mushrooms. <laughs> oh, yeah, and if you're, <laughs> hell, even if you're just a drinker, have a have a couple of belts. I mean, it, it couldn't hurt the movie, trust me. If you get wasted and watch this, the movie ends and you have no idea what it was about... That's not the alcohol at all. The rest of us have that same feeling, whether we're intoxicated or not. <laughs> I kind of want to watch YouTube reaction videos of this movie now. I actually wouldn't mind, too. I would. I, I, Guillermo, the only filmmaker that I know of right now that likes it, and that's only because it's plastered to the fucking poster, is Guillermo del Toro. Loves this movie. He, he's a big fan of Phil Tippett, and then I read a, a blurb with him last week where he said he actually loves this movie. So that kind of says something about... What kind of person is going to like these movies? Like I said, Guillermo is probably one of the most imaginative filmmakers out there right now. So it makes sense that he likes this. So, yeah, not much more I can say. Uh, you guys got anything left you want to tack on? No, I can't wait to get back to normal like shark movies or something. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Got a couple weeks in a row now of odd movies. You know, Monsters, you know, was kind of the lack of Monsters is, would have been a better name for that movie. And then Mad God with its lack of a narrative and just, you know, basically they throw the viewer to the wolves and just like, okay, you figure it out. <laughs> and hey, some people like that. Yeah, yeah I, enjoy, I enjoy this a lot more in Monsters, though. Oh, by far. Oh, I'll, I'll actually watch this again. I, I don't think I have yeah. any to watch Monsters again. But yeah, yeah. same here. Oh, yeah. No, same here. <laughs> Me three. All right, folks. So um, as Don said, I think it's time for us to return to our classic creature features I, w I would imagine we'll probably after experimenting with some newer films i think i think i think we're all comfortable going back to maybe the 30s or the 40s and picking a classic creature feature we haven't picked one out yet but i i think that's kind of where we're going you know we've done new movies for the last like three four episodes newer movies anyway so yeah let's get back into some of the classics and if you have any suggestions by all means hit us up on facebook or twitter let us know if there's a classic creature feature you'd like to see us us uh, talk about otherwise folks anything else you, you want to tack on here i know i already asked but i, I i'm overly polite i'm canadian that way <laughs> i didn't i didn't know the invisible man spoke like a monkey until this movie <laughs> and on that folks i think we're gonna take off 
Once again, this is Mr. Venom on behalf of Derek and Don. I just want to thank everyone for joining us. It's always a pleasure talking about these movies. Hey, whether we like them or not, we love getting together and talking about them. So we'll hope to see you next month, folks. Take care. Go ahead and say bye to the folks, gentlemen. Bye-bye. <laughs> Take Later. care, everybody. Later. Thank you.